0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mapper Forward's first on-demand workshop, How to Become a Coffee Consultant, available now online for you to learn at your own pace with a certificate available upon completion. Click the link in the show notes to access today for just 50 euros. Welcome to the Daily Coffee Pro by Mappet Forward Friends. I'm your host, Lee Safar, and this is episode three of a five-part series with Siobhan Bromley, and we are talking about human resources in the coffee industry. Now, we're going to get a little into the weeds here with regards to HR, and we're going to be talking about something called compliance. So Siobhan, help us understand what compliance is uh, and why we need to, to know about it in a workplace.
1: Look, and and I'm really pleased we got to talk about culture first because that's, I think, um, a little bit more fun and a little bit more important. Notwithstanding, I should obviously advocate as a good HR practitioner the importance of of governance and compliance in the workplace. So look, you know, at its simplest, compliance is very much around compliance with employment law. Mm -hmm. Um, or what we call the industrial legislation that might apply to your workforce. Um, Obviously, it will vary by country Mm -hmm. within which you operate. And, and, you know, my extensive experience is very much with the Australian system. Um, And and certainly, you know, any, you know, business owners out there will will be acutely aware of announcements in the last sort of two weeks around increases to what we call the minimum wage. Um, And, and, you know, they've been called, for those employees covered by an award at 5.75%, which that's is,
0: wild. you know,
1: the biggest we've seen in a long time. And I imagine any business owner is just sitting there going, how am how? I going to absorb that? Along with, you know, your, your raw material costs, you know, electricity, utility costs. And I think that's, you know, around the world. So then have a wage increase, obviously try to keep up with inflation for some of our lowest paid workers, but mm. thinking about building that into your business model. I mean, as a consumer, all I've heard about for, for the last sort of 12 to 18 months is the increasing cost of coffee mm. um, because of the, the cost of beans and, and, you know, various elements in the process. So to then have that hit, it's great for employees. And, and as I said, very much there to protect, um, you know, our, our lower paid employees, but building that into your business and accounting for it, it comes into effect on the first of July. Um so, so we've got to be ready. And and if you're paying any kind of penalty rate on that, if you're paying, you know, you've got workers on a Sunday or public holiday like, you know, double time, it's instantly double that amount. So it, it's a huge um, you know, cost to the business. And that's why it's really important to to get the the structure of your business right with the right level of employees on the right engagements. Um, be it casual or permanent part-time, uh, so you can really, I guess, balance your workforce to keep it affordable um, and, you know, to keep the, the right employees retained, as we talked about.
0: It's it's exceptionally difficult for small business owners, especially at a time where, you know, people think there's so much money to be made in cafes. <laughs> So much money to be made in restaurants and cafes. (laughs) And like, folks, if you were listening to this and you were thinking, I want to own a cafe one day, please, I'm going to say it for the 6,000th millionth trillionth time on this podcast, you can expect between three and 5% net profit if you're running your cafe well. So to put that into context, the two main Expenses in a cafe to run a small business in coffee is your rent and your wages. Now, if your wages have just been uh, forcibly increased by the government by five percent, and your average net profit is three to five percent. Just please think twice and three times before you just jump in without understanding uh, what you're getting into. because the re- we shouldn't have a net profit uh, an expected net profit of three to five percent. The reason we do have that is for a couple of reasons. oversaturation and people opening businesses who don't have any business opening businesses because they don't know what they're doing. And so I want more people to open businesses, but I want more informed people opening businesses because what that does is that really does push up the success rate of our industry. A way that we do that is to bring people who understand how to manage teams and attrition rates and culture and all of that kind of thing in a small business. I have seen too many businesses close over the last couple of years because they couldn't get staff. And they just couldn't survive because they ran out of money because they were closing their doors. Siobhan, how do people, um, how do people approach matching compliance with the challenges of running a small business?
1: Look, I, I think, um, you know, we've talked about this a few times in terms of wearing many hats when, when you're a right. small business owner, but I think you've got to, you know, give respect, if I can say it that way, to to HR, you know, I guess let's call it a policy, um, just as you do if you're building a new shop and you have to go through the council process, you have to tick the 85 you know, check boxes, change Mm -hmm. of use, different things. You need to almost have a look at your HR process as part of your sort of business planning to say, okay, what do I need to do? And, And the element of that now, you'll start to think about how am I going to attract employees? How will I onboard them? How will I train them? You know, rostering, think of all those tactical things. But to me, it's almost a front end thing where you stop and say, Okay. And and hopefully you've done this. Um, Certainly if they're talking to you, Lee, they will have thought about this in terms of the the financials and forecasting, but actually understanding how much they have to pay someone. I don't think many people on the street would necessarily know what the minimum wage is. You know, in the industry, there's probably discussion of what do you you pay your baristas? They're in hot demand, you know, East Coast, West Coast. Um, you know, and those kind of trends. But do you actually know, I'd say do a little bit of homework in Australia. um, We have something called the Fair Work Ombudsman, you can go to the website, it'll set out hints and tips for small business owners. It's not too intimidating. Let me tell you though, too, the same website exists for employees. So they can go on and see their rights and, and terms and conditions of, you know, their minimum safety nets, if you will. So I think it's something you've got to do a little bit of due diligence on in the front end just to understand what is it that's regulating, you know, how you pay people. And and it's beyond, you know, pay, right? It's hours of work, mm-hmm. length of shift, breaks, start, stop time. Um, you know, it's how you engage the employees on what contract, be it casual or part-time, you know, permanent, uh, so there's a number of elements to it, but but I think you you've got to pay respect to it at the front end to understand. And and so another Australian example: understand what modern award applies. Okay, I've looked at it, and the fast food industry award applies to my workforce. Just have some respect for what's in there and how it pertains to your workforce. And if it's not clear, go and get some advice. I think good HR advice will provide a commercially viable outcome it's not just a cost center you know right. hr as yeah. a profession should increase your profitability stigma right but for the two decades i've been in the industry we've gone from a back office cost center to, to a chief hr officer having a seat on the executive table and yeah, wow. that's the reality good advice is i might be able to help you structure your workforce such that you can have permanent part-time employees rather than casuals who have you know, a 25% loading. So good advice should uh, be self-serving and, and almost self-funding in a sense of what the outcome could be. Um, but I think it's it's pay some respect at the front end to understanding, okay, you know, the idea is it sets out the minimum terms and conditions and, and this is relevant in all countries. So just have a little bit of respect for what's there and, and understanding it. And I think beyond that, there's an obligation um, on management, on on ownership, about creating a safe workplace. Now, mm-hmm. you go, oh, you know, occupational health and safety, slips, trips and falls, and you think of the physical, um, you know, workplace safety, right, and, and that's important, but it extends beyond that. And, mm-hmm. and again, you know, my reference here is specific to Australia but will be relevant sort of worldwide. Safety now is legislated and you have obligations beyond just physical safety, um, and now to, I guess, in a sense, psychological safety and, and protecting employees from harassment, from bullying, from discrimination, um, and, you know, making sure you're actively doing something about that, not just dealing with it when it arrives, So when it arises. So, you know, there's the, there's the pay. We, we think compliance and we go, okay, am I paying compliantly hours of work scheduling? But it's beyond that too. Am I creating a safe workplace? Um, you know, for employees both physically and, and mentally and emotionally in a way that they can come to work, bring them whole selves to work um, and do so in a safe environment.
0: And gone are the days where you can turn
1: around and say, oops, I didn't know, right? The shift is, is you know, it's almost prove what you did to mitigate this risk yeah. rather than tell us what you did to help the person once it's happened. Um, and- and there's a really strong onus on the employer.
0: This is coming up again and again and again at the moment, the last couple of years. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. There's a real generational divide between the generation that owns businesses, which is usually Gen Xs and Millennials, but particularly the Gen Xs and the Gen Zs who are coming into the industry. And there's such a difference in the approach. And, you know, this kind of leans on um, com- uh, on culture as much as it leans on compliance but there's such a different approach to compliance from both of those two different generations right how do you approach bridging the gap between something like that?
1: I think as I sort of said it comes down to your own self-awareness and education and I guess healthy respect for you know, how you should be doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a fluid environment and it's dynamic and changing and, you know, you might, it's not a set and forget. Um, but I think having a little mm-hmm. bit of transparency, having a little protocol at the front end with new employees so you can, you know, think about, and I imagine uh, you know and I've experienced this in my own small business and just the journey along the way I mean employees on day one or can you just write your tax phone number and your bank account details down so I can pay on a scrap piece of paper you know versus having a template you know and then even now as well when you often employ someone you have to give them a fact sheet of the of you know in Australia it's fair work and so you have to give them a fact sheet and do they know their rights and so we're seeing this real shift and I think if you're not aware and aware of it, you will ultimately become aware because your employees, particularly of this generation, are acutely aware. But will also opt out. Um, and if it's not the way they want to do it, see you later. Like we talked about this, yeah. you know, generational difference. So I think you'll be forced to come to an understanding and, and just a healthy awareness and respect um, of the need for compliance because I think it'll be, you know, brought to your attention if you like, but by, by your employee base <laughs> more than anything. Very medically said. I think too there's been a real shift, you know. I and we talked about like I think back to when we maybe had casual jobs. You were grateful to have the job, you turned up, you mm-hmm. were you expected you would be paid fair price for fair work sort of mm-hmm. thing. it has been a real shift for me and, yeah. and 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 with and I'm definitely seeing it in the generational piece of well, what am I entitled? What am I gonna get? You know, it's and and are you the right business for me versus oh I need a job, great, you're paying a good wage. Yep. Let's get Let's, you know, make
0: it happen. Well, now what cafes need to offer, but this is particularly in the US where a lot of the work that I do is they have to offer wellness packages to their casual employees. Mm. <laughs> that yeah. was not something that our generation <laughs> expected. Like the, the idea no. of suggesting to business owners if you want to retain staff, you have to give them a stipend every month to um, – spend on either mental health, um, something to help them with their mental health, or let's say uh, some employees wanted a, a voucher to juice bars or yoga classes, like straight up folks. Um, mm. Someone like me looks at that because I can I'm a Gen Xer like for me to turn around and have even uttered the idea of asking for anything other than my wages from my employer was completely nonsensical. But this is a new way of the world. And and we have to adapt if we want to keep staff, right? So.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, you know, we talked about the, the employee experience piece when it came to culture and it, it, it's particularly in the, this industry, you'd think, but it's just a casual job. They're going to be here for a few years and, and go, but it's so much more than that. It, it's almost as if they're coming to us with their list of demands before they might accept the role you've got on offer.
0: I'm just trying to imagine your face, Siobhan, if a, if, if an employee came up to you and said, I'll take the job if you give me um, like a voucher for a juice bar. <laughs> Every a month I want $100. It's like, thank you, Bye. <laughs> Oh, that one. Uh, I think Stan and and Susan, I would love to see that that conversation. (laughs) Anyway, folks, in the next episode, we're going to talk about all of this, but from the employee's perspective. So what is it like? What is HR like and the workplace experience like from the employee? We've talked a lot in the first three episodes about what it is for the employer. But a big part that's missing is taking the perspective of the employee. So join us for the next episode. Peace, love and peanut butter. Have an amazing rest of your day.